This is episode number 201, a panel on emerging technologies. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today we've got not just one guest, not two guests. Today we've got four guests on the show who are together in a panel. So as you probably know, in the, over the past weekend, we had the Data Science Go 2018 event in San Diego, which was a total blast. So if you were there, I'm sure we caught up. And a huge, huge thank you for coming and making this networking and community so amazing. And um, as a part of this event, we had a panel on emerging technologies. And today you will hear the audio from that panel. There was some very interesting discussions, some very interesting questions from the audience. And today you'll get to know all about it. So the guests on the panel were as follows. We had Mark Skinner, who is the senior solutions architect at NVIDIA. Uh, then we had Rachel Xuan Wang, who is the manager of data science at TrueCar. We had Ben Taylor, who you know from the podcast. He's been on the podcast several times now. And he is the chief AI officer at Ziff.ai. And we also had Pablos Holman, who is a world-renowned speaker, inventor, hacker, and entrepreneur. His TED Talks have over 20 million views and he was our keynote speaker at the event and he was also on this panel on emerging technologies. In this panel, we discussed many topics including blockchain, AI and deep learning, machine learning and disruption, startups and much, much more. So as you can imagine, I'm very excited and pumped for you to relive this experience with us. One quick note, in uh, the recording you'll hear me say, throw the microphone. Uh, to the audience and indeed that's what we were doing. We had this uh, soft microphone that looks like a box and whenever somebody was asking a question we would throw it like a basketball through across the whole room. So don't be confused when you hear throw the microphone. Apart from that, let's dive straight into it. Can't wait for you to check this out and without further ado I bring to you the panel from Data Science Go 2018 on emerging technologies. Let's get started. All right, everybody, welcome back. Um, so, we're gonna have a panel discussion. Who's excited for a panel discussion? Woo! Panel discussion on emerging technologies. And I'd like to welcome to the stage our panelists. Please, guys. So we got Rachel from TrueCar, Mark from NVIDIA, Ben from Ziff, and Pablo says, you know, our keynote speaker. All right, we're going to start off with a brief introduction, guys, like half a minute each. Please, Mark, 
Where, where do you work? What do you do? Uh, my name is Mark Skinner. I work at NVIDIA. Hopefully some of you guys know about us. We, we sponsor the room next door. Uh, my job is to make your lives easier by bringing you the hardware and the software tools to make data science uh, much easier than it's been in the past. Fantastic. Uh, Rachel? Hey, guys. I'm it's working. Uh, I'm the data science manager at TrueCar. If you haven't heard about TrueCar before, we're an online car buying platform. and. Uh, we're currently doing pretty well, so if you need and anytime you need to buy a car, like feel free to check it out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, uh, I've been in the data science field for a while, and uh, very happy to see you guys. Ben Taylor, uh, my son. <laughs> I think so. Okay, okay, sorry. So Ben Taylor, I'm a chemical engineer. That's what I studied. I worked for Intel, a hedge fund. I helped build out a data science group for a Sequoia-backed company called HireView. And right now, I'm working on a deep learning uh, startup. So deep learning is a service through REST APIs for image, audio, and uh, video. Um, so that's been our focus, trying to get that into the enterprise for business. Good. Pablos? Hey, um, I'm Pablos. I work at the Intellectual Ventures Lab uh, for Nathan Mirvold and Bill Gates, trying to invent new technologies, um, next generation technologies. We don't really make any products or anything, we just invent. Um, and I work on a um, company called Data.World. Do you guys know Data.World? Um, where we're trying to solve some of the tool chain that you need to do some of the things we really want to be able to do in the future, like sharing a bunch of data. So Data.World is kind of like a GitHub for data. You guys should all use it. It's probably, I think it's like free, so get on there. Um, and it has. But what's, it's actually the deeper you go, it's super cool because you're able to load your own data, but then cross-pollinate it with other people's data, and it all um, starts to get pretty exciting. So, Awesome. All right, thank you, guys. Uh, could we start the timer, please? Um, so the format of the panel. Um, we had a quick chat beforehand to understand how we can serve you guys better in this conversation. That's what usually happens at panels. Panelists get together and like try to understand what can we deliver. And we found that by just coming up with a list of questions beforehand, we kind of started delving very deep into either technical or algorithm stuff. So the way this is going to work is we don't have any preset questions. It's all going to be one hour of your questions, whatever is bothering you, whatever you want to know. And we've got really cool experts here on the panel. So just uh, for information, Mark and Ben are most experienced in the hardware side of things and like deep learning and chips and stuff like that, where the world's going there. Rachel is going to be here for you know, algorithms, uh, machine learning, AI, and um, you know, like how you can use that. And Pablo's is here for like Color inventions commentary. and, yeah, and <laughs> making this fun. Um, so yeah, so get your questions ready. We're going to start throwing the ball. This is your opportunity. We've got 59 minutes left. The timer stopped again um, to get going. All right, first question. There we go. All right, you know the drill. Mark, please. Yes, sir. Uh, intersection of hardware Closer. and intersection of hardware and uh, is Nvidia have a team that can address small needs for um, say small engineering teams and, and we we need a specific set of hardware. Who do I get in touch with at Nvidia to make that happen? Well, the good news is that you don't have to go directly to Nvidia. You can't generally purchase anything from us. 
but you always purchase through a reseller. It could be HP or IBM or but Dell. But I'm talk, talking about local pretty person. unique stuff, like cutting edge, different. Oh. How, do, how do I get in touch with the right people at NVIDIA? If you want to get to the engineering team? Perhaps. Okay, and you have an idea for a particular algorithm that would be best fit in hardware or something? Perhaps. Okay, then the best thing to do is get reach me afterwards, and I'll give you a card okay, and I'll introduce you. you to somebody in the engineering Who's staff. Next? Okay, next question. All right, we've got one at the top. Yeah, throw it there. Oh, yes. <laughs> nice shot. Uh, this is for the gentleman from NVIDIA. Um, I'm sorry. There are other <laughs> people here name, too, sorry. just so you know. <laughs> yeah, so how about, been... how about you just ask the question and then we'll decide who'll answer it, okay? Sure, sounds good. So um, we have seen GPUs take over, um, like, you know, uh, go deep into like deep learning and then uh, surface a lot of insights. So when do you see GPU becoming the mainstream? Or I, I've, I've not seen a lot of adoptions from like big companies. Do you think that it's going to happen very soon, or is it going to take some more time to, uh, for, for companies to adopt GPUs? Um, I think we're at the beginning of the knee curve for GPU-accelerated applications. Uh, if you just look at how much uh, a Amazon has been spending uh, buying GPUs to put into their facilities, uh, Google also in the cloud has GPUs. Also, you know, they also want to buy um, uh, their own product and put their own product inside. So we have the, the TPU as competition. So there are other people that are seeing GPUs as, as a really good target to go after what GPUs do. And so we'll, we'll end up with some competition, but I think every company right now is, is investigating where are we at with our data center uh, plans for uh, GPU-accelerated servers and who can use them in our, in, our, in our company. So the good news is I just think we're cracking the shell on this. We're just opening it up. And uh, it, it's all of you guys, if you don't know what a GPU is, it's that thing that does parallel math better. So we can talk about it some more, but basically ben, that's it. Ben, you have any comments? Yeah, so I think right now there's a gap between what businesses see as being useful AI and um, what they can do. And the, the spend for some of this new hardware is expensive. So at Hireview, we built out a, a gaming box. I, I think we spent um, $15,000. At Ziff, our first box was $40,000. You get into the bigger stuff, you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. No business is going to sign up for that as a science project, so you really need the applied applications. And there is a crawl, walk, run. So if you want to crawl immediately, Go get an eGPU, like an external GPU, USB-C, play with it, find some value, upgrade, um, find value, and then bigger businesses, it's easier. They can commit to bigger machines to support a whole R&D team. Um, so that's kind of the hesitation. It, the hardware's more expensive, but the value's definitely there. There's just a, an, a closing gap between what's applied, what's useful. Gotcha, thanks. Okay. All right. So there's Could a lot of- Could you stand up, please? Oh, yep. So there's a lot of um, business leaders out there that are totally uninformed about how machine learning and data science is going to transform the industry. So as kind of data scientists, practitioners, practitioners here, uh, what do you think are the keys to evangelizing the value behind what data science provides to companies? Maybe Rachel? Uh, you got, you got yours. Uh, yours works, yeah. It works, does it? Yeah. Um, so um, I can talk about that from an organizational standpoint because um, our company recently went through um, a process of 
going from a centralized data science team to splitting the team up into two parts. Uh, part of the people will be machine learning engineers and that team will grow and the other part of the people will be uh, product analytics data scientists and they will be, so the machine learning engineers will be more focused on uh, implementing algorithms in the, directly in the code base and they're, they're kind of like engineers who know machine learning and I think part of that reason is because of the emerging technologies nowadays allow people who are not from a computer science background to be implementing code directly into the production database. And the other part of people are um, doing kind of like uh, getting insights and doing researches to improve products. So I think that's part of the trend I'm seeing. I, I know like Google, Facebook, once you get large, it's very hard to keep a centralized data, data science team and uh, they're kind of like splitting the role up. And I think that's a good thing for the industry too because th that means there are gonna be more jobs and also jobs that are catered to your interest because in the past you probably have to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that but in the future you can be more focused on machine learning or, or product or like other roles. Cool, thank you. I think it's hard for companies, you know, if they don't already have a culture that values making decisions based on data, then getting to machine learning and some of these more advanced tools is probably a ways off. If they don't, um, you know, they look at a lot of companies, they don't make their decisions even with a spreadsheet. They make their decisions by getting in a meeting and sort of batting something around and then deciding what to do and then, you know, going off until the next meeting and doing it. Um, and those are the companies that I think you're going to have the hardest time in. Right, because they don't all, you know, the key thing to look for is, you know, is the culture of the company, you know, making decisions based on data? And if they are, then it's a pretty natural progression to go to ever more advanced tools and, um, and more sophisticated models. So if a company isn't making decisions based on data yet, how would you recommend somebody to influence the management and directors to start doing that? Uh, I don't know, that's not something I've ever tried to do. <laughs> yeah, Ben. So that's something we've paid tuition on the last year. It's been a painful process. So one of the issues, we feel like 90%, this isn't a hard number, it's just finger in the wind. We feel like 90% of AI projects fail. They never get shipped. So for a project to succeed, it needs to be shipped and consumed. A validation report, um, conversation, that's not a win, that's not true. So. Um, to get the executive buy-in, no one wants a science project, and so you really have to, one of the number one reasons these projects fail, they, they worked on the wrong problem. You need to find a problem that has massive impact. Labeling an image and saying, there's a swimming pool, no swimming pool in this property, is that useful? Like, uh, no, yeah. like, <laughs> no, it's probably not useful. So finding the right project is key, and so I think that's, that's important. You have to have that conversation where there's accountability on the project, it's not a science project. Love it. Uh, actually, I wanted on this point to touch what we were discussing yesterday, Pablo, where um, you mentioned, like I think that, that reminded me that uh, we were chatting with Pablo yesterday and he said that organizations that don't use data and don't use AI, machine learning, it's not his intention, it's not their intention or job to go in and change them. Like these big companies are very slow rolling. Tell, tell us a bit about that, what you described, yeah, I mean, about the way, the way I think about it, you know, um, any successful business or institution of any description, you know, 
could be a business, could be healthcare, or democracy, or you know, education, whatever. Any large-scale successful institution has partly evolved an immune system, right? And it's the job of the immune system to suppress risk. And if anything looks like risk, it's change, right? And this is why where I come from, where in Silicon Valley, like the way we think about things, we will not try to fix your business. We will not try to fix your industry. We will not even try. We will make a new parallel industry or business and make an end run around you using all the superpowers we get from our you know, computers. And that's what disruption really means. That's what you, know, you see with Uber and Airbnb and you know, Facebook and these cases where a couple of assholes from Silicon Valley made an end run around well, a previously you know, massive industry. And you know, what I think about it is if you are in a context where it feels like pulling teeth trying to get somebody to buy into your idea for how to like, you know, actually make our decisions based on some real data, um, you know, changing people is hard. Changing companies and cultures is hard. And this is why, you know, um, what I look for are situations where you have an opportunity to run experiments and kill off the failures. And sometimes that's an entire company. So we're going to just leave you to die, and we're going to make a startup that performs better. That's why we do it. That's why we have thousands of startups. There are, every one of them is a little million-dollar experiment that we can try. And sometimes they outperform. You know, it's like why TrueCar exists. I mean, it's not a startup anymore, but eight years ago or nine years ago or something, TrueCar was a little startup that figured out how to give people like actual real data about what's going on with car buying and make a decision and make it accessible and easy for people to consume, right? Complex market data. That's why TrueCar exists. And it, you know, made an end run around what was essentially like the old shitty go in and talk to a salesman, see if maybe they're lying to you, I don't know, and <laughs> do you want the you know, spray on the bottom of the car to keep it from rusting, or, you know, how much is that really worth? You know, like all this kind of screwy stuff. Now you don't do that, right? You just know the actual price. You know what it's going for. You know if you're getting screwed or not. I mean, those are the kinds of things where I wouldn't stay too long. I mean, this is a beautiful thing right now. It's like, you guys are in demand. Every business on earth wants data scientists and can't afford them. So you can vote with your feet. Go where people will listen to you, where you'll be valued, and let those old businesses die. We'll make new ones. It's not a problem. <laughs> uh, this, this is going to completely discourage executives from sending people to this conference. Thank you very much. I, I would like to add that. Please if do. you do want to stay with your company, to the lady asked the question, you can get started with your own company's data it doesn't cost more than like six or seven dollars an hour to run some jobs iteratively in yeah. Amazon or Azure yeah. or Baidu or Oracle, whichever cloud provider. The barrier to entry for doing this kind of research is, is pennies on the dollar. I mean, it really is an acceleration from just 10 years ago. So you can throw some of your own department's data in, in a model that you think might give some insight and just slide it across the table at the next meeting that people are kicking things around. 
maybe they'll kick around your analysis and then you'll provide value and people say, how did you get that? Well, I spent $25 on Amazon. <laughs> I hope that's okay. Yeah. yeah. If they give you a promotion, stay for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to Mark's point, there's a saying, better to uh, seek forgiveness than ask permission. You know, not always true, right? Like sometimes you'll get fired for it. I but think that was Maya Angelou. Probably. Um, <laughs> please. One of the applications where GPU gets used a lot is in crypto mining. And lately, crypto mining, the profitability in crypto mining with GPU has been declining a lot. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is a two-part question. First part is, do you see NVIDIA getting into the ASIC, um, ASIC chips business, uh, if it's not already? Uh, that's the first question. Second question is a more general question. Um, where do you guys see uh, FB, FPGA, I mean FPGA, FPGA versus uh, ASIC um, in the future when it, when it comes to either data science or artificial intelligence or machine learning or any of its um, okay. subcomponents? Okay, well, the, the the first thing is, uh, for people who don't know, crypto mining, the people who are, were trying to make a bazillion dollars on Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatnot, uh, they found that they could get a lot of the work done for mining, just solving the equations in GPUs. That caused a spike in the demand for gamer GPUs, and a lot of GeForce cards didn't go into kids' gaming boxes. They went into uh, mines uh, that literally sometimes were mines with thousands and thousands of computers just running these, these hashing algorithms. So I'm really pleased that the complexity of the algorithms got harder so GPUs weren't a cost-effective ma manner anymore. So that allows our number one customer base, the gamers, to get you know, their cards back at a relatively uh, normal price. So the good news is GPUs for cryptocurrency is a thing of the past. Don't recommend it. Uh, as far as FPGAs and ASICs, we kind of already do that. We take a, a bit of, uh, we did it with tensor cores for doing accelerated deep learning algorithms and matrix multiplication. We said there's, a, there's an algorithm, let's A plus B equals C matrix, uh, and we put it into a chip and we put that into our GPU. And then we did it again for ray tracing with Turing. So we kind of already do those kinds of, uh, take a, a math problem and put it into hardware, that's kind of the example of what a, an ASIC does. Uh, an FPGA is a field programmable version of an ASIC, but there are other companies like Intel and others that have their own, and they're, and they're saying, well, there's a demand for this type of math to do your data science problem, so let's, let's compete with NVIDIA. But then the good, it's a good news, bad news for us. It means it proved the market, so we're doing something right, but the bad news is like you have choice. But the good news is that you see your choice against our complete stack and platform from A to Z versus somebody who puts out a product that says, this is five times faster than what you can do in a GPU, but, but this is only the PCIe card. You have to do all of the development and the sources and the tools and the, maybe it's not such a bargain at first sight. So, you know, it's good that we have competition. Somebody else asked me about AMD. They do a good job doing what they do, and they make us look good when we come out with something better. So I, I'm a firm <laughs> believer of competition. You know, I'm, I'm still going to wear and go home and play on my GeForce cards, but I, I want all of you guys to understand that we are not stopping with just the equipment that we've done uh, and the chips that we've built. Um, 
it was a $3 billion uh, uh, procedure to get Volta, which is the one with the tensor cores, which you guys are going to love if you get a chance to play with it. So that, we're not stopping, we're not sitting on our laurels, so. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I'm not, I don't have a dog in this fight really, but um, from a fundamental perspective, like NVIDIA is advancing, other companies are also advancing on performance related to use, you know, the things that are relevant to machine learning. And there's a bunch of new technologies coming and I wouldn't worry about that. Like I'd worry about getting good at framing up, you know, the problems you're trying to solve and creating models, but like we're gonna be able to give you an absurd amount of performance in this lifetime. Absolutely. And you know, and, and a way to think about it is, you know, for most of your life to date, we just make computers faster by making smaller transistors, and um, which is, you know, largely what we refer to as Moore's Law. And now we can't really make smaller transistors because they're about the size of an electron. And so um, there's all these other ways you could make computers faster that have been neglected, that nobody's been working on. And now we finally have demand to go after them. And that's kind of what tensor cores are as an example. Um, but, you know, at a, from a fundamental perspective, like massive increases in computational ability are coming. What we need you to do is figure out what the hell to do with it when we yeah. give you those machines because it's yeah. all, it's all. Absorb possible. the tools. Hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you. Um, while we're on this, um, cryptocurrency. I want to raise the topic of blockchain because the panel is emerging technologies. That's one of the emerging technologies we've seen go really spike at the, at the beginning of this year and now it's kind of like floating there. So I think, I think it's pretty high up still even though the uh, cryptocurrencies are dropping off. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts, Pablos? Maybe let's start with you. What are your thoughts on blockchain? Is it, uh, does it have a future? Well, um, you know, the, I, I worked on cryptocurrency in the late 90s. Um, what we were trying to do is, what we saw was that there were a lot more people coming on the internet. We were going to have to put some effort into architecting this thing to preserve our values. Um, and specifically, where I come from, what we believed is that nobody should get an asymmetric advantage on the network. Um, we believed it should be a level playing field for everybody. And that means you don't get to decide what I do on the internet. So we tried to build protocols that would support that. And that's, um, that's a big difference from building services, right? So in the 90s, like when people started to get online, they were leaving this big walled garden called AOL which is a service that controlled what you could do and how you could transact, right? TCP IP is a, not a service, it's a protocol. And anyone can jump on that network and do whatever they want. And then once we all got on to the internet, we ran into a big walled garden <laughs> service. That's like Facebook and Google, right? So what's happening now is people are starting to clue in that these services don't represent their values, that they're messing with you know, your ability to do what you want, transact with who you want, communicate with who you want, those kinds of things. And so what needs to happen is we have to replace them 
with protocols. And so um, that's kind of the philosophical view of how we've been doing this. So we started with um, systems to try and um, make it possible for everybody to use the internet evenly. That's where things like, uh, you know, we have some success stories. So like BitTorrent, lots of companies hate BitTorrent, but it made it so anyone could share massive amounts of data online, not just the companies who had huge infrastructure. Um, we made uh, the onion routers, which is like what also makes the dark web very controversial. Lots of people hate it. Countries hate it, but you can't shut it down because these are protocols, not services. And we made Bitcoin, which again is the first currency ever for humans that's not a service. It's not centralized. It's a protocol. That's why, despite lots of people hating it, lots of countries hating it, can't shut it down. And so what blockchain has done is given us a, the ability to create a decentralized mint for the first time. That was the whole point. Um, for everything that you don't like about Bitcoin, we don't care because we've architected the next hundred versions already for every possible problem, right? These are cryptocurrencies are here to stay. I'm not telling you whether to invest in them. I don't give a shit about crypto currency speculation. I care about the fact that it makes it a level playing field for everybody. No one can stop me from transacting with you. And that's the point of these systems. Now, blockchain is only one tool in that toolkit. In the, we have a huge toolkit in the crypto toolkit of things that you could use to architect protocols. And that's very rarely done. It's hard work. but. We're, we've attracted an entire, because of the success of Bitcoin, we've attracted an entire generation of coders to the crypto toolkit. And now we can go reinvent some of these things. How hard would it be to make, you know, if you want to bitch about Facebook messing with your feed and controlling what you see, well, how hard could it be to make a Facebook feed that's decentralized where you get to control the knob that decides what you see? Same thing with Instagram, same thing with Twitter, same thing, all these things. We need to change them from services to protocols, and we have the tools to do that at our disposal. And that's, so blockchain gets all the attention, but the truth is that's just the newest tool in the bag. Perfect. That's long-winded. I'm sorry, guys. I'm really not good at panels. <laughs> <laughs> Ask them some questions. Yeah, sure, Ben. Ben, Rachel. So I, I think it's interesting with some of these crypto um, blockchain opportunities, some of them go after Amazon's business. So there's specifically a me Mechanical Turk um, offering or there's an S3 offering. And kind of the internal joke was someone needs to come out with a deep learning offering where they can be in a pitch and say, I have a startup, it's crypto, AI deep learning. <laughs> I need $100 million for a seed. But there is a practical application where companies have a really hard time loading when it's inference time. They want massive service level agreements. They want distributed computing. So if all these gaming cards, if you had crypto where you know you get paid one penny for that prediction and you get paid 10 pennies, I think there's a huge opportunity for someone else to go build out a deep learning infrastructure on these gaming cards where you pay kids with crypto and mm. they get a little bit more than they get with Bitcoin mm. and companies are happy. Of course, you'd have like data privacy and stuff, but it's funny. Cool, great idea. Rachel, any comments? Um, the way I see blockchain is that I feel like it's like from the technology point, it's at a pretty mature stage. A couple years ago, calculating in blockchain is expensive 
in, in terms of calculation power, but nowadays it's actually not expensive anymore. I feel like it really can solve a lot of questions, but the real question is where does it land? Because um, the, the way I see it uh, as, um, Public. Public said um, countries don't like it, government don't like it, who likes a decentralized financial system? Um, but that's definitely something blockchain can already do. So I'll, I'll wait and see where it goes. Gotcha, thank you. All right, uh, next question. Let's throw the box over here, front. Nice. <laughs> there, over there, yeah. Um, so my question is, earlier this year, Facebook and Google uh, turned off their AI because it started to create its own language, right? My question is what from your perspective What were the threats there? What are the even potential opportunities of AI creating its own language? Um, and where do you see all that that piece going? So I hate the media when it comes to AI so they'll pull on if they need to sell something they're gonna sell FUD so it's fear uncertainty and doubt and so I think people in the AI community would kind of laugh at that story, yeah. where the media just, ah, here's another thing we can pull on. And we see that time and time again. Like, think of Tesla. Anytime Tesla, there's a fatality on a self-driving car. That's all they want to talk about. Yeah. But Tesla has already surpassed the number, the death rate per 100 million miles driven for humans. So really, the thing we should be talking about is good. One person died instead of five or 10. I don't know what the number is. So no, there's I, like. One person dies in a Tesla every day. 3,000 people die in conventional vehicles. Yeah, I, they I did don't not make the die news. in my Tesla driving down here. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I would say that that's a FUD example where the yeah. media is pushing something that is, makes me angry. Yeah, you guys look, you know, we don't have artificial intelligence. It does not exist. All we have is machine learning, which is super cool, but extrapolating from that that robots are going to turn up any day now that want to turn us all into paper clips is irresponsible <laughs> and lazy it's bullshit we have no reason to believe that's going to happen we have no evidence that they'll be malevolent right and i just think you know these fud stories sell and you know you guys should know better like ignore all that shit like there's nothing scary going on here Right. Um, I, I echo what Ben was saying. Um, I don't think Facebook or Google actually turned off their AI. I don't yeah. think there is any tech giant who is not actively investing in AI or, or wants to get really good in this field, but also like the, the definition of AI is so broad. Are you talking about voice recognition? Are you talking about graphical recognition? Or are you talking about some robot actually having a sense of self-existence? And I, I think that's really, really far um, from, from the technology we're doing today. But stuff like uh, writing an automatic report, that, that's already happening, yeah. Gotcha. Driving your own car, yeah, they don't have to drive. I didn't drive, I, yeah. I just rode in. <laughs> Thank you. All right, next question. Let's go somewhere in the middle over there. Throw it, yep, nice. Hello? Uh, you know, one, uh, going back to the topic of blockchain, one of the intentions or, uh, or the application of blockchains is to eliminate the middleman, right? Yeah. By doing a peer-to-peer -peer connection. Digital For example, uh, let's say in the case of Uber, right? When you have a peer-to-peer -peer connection. But then who uh, really owns the platform? Or is it going back to Pablo's point, 
going from service to uh, uh, protocol. Okay. Protocol, right. So who, who owns it from a commercialization perspective? Um, well, the point of, so just using cryptocurrency as an example, you know, obviously you could build other things on a blockchain. Historically, every currency, um, you had currencies like cash, which are single entry bookkeeping. That means I hand you a dollar and now you got it and I don't, and it's a, the transaction settlement has completed. Every other transaction system besides cash and barter and trade and gold is double entry bookkeeping. That means, you know, I'm, I'm going to decrement my account at my bank and you're going to increment your account at your bank and we're going to pay a bunch of jerks in the middle to go audit everything and make sure that no one's cheating. That's expensive. That's a drag on an economy. That's, and whether, and, and this is just economic transactions, but any kind of transaction is being taxed by that drag. So what we're trying to accomplish with protocols like Bitcoin is you get instantaneous settlement, but you get it through not now, what we now call triple entry bookkeeping. And that means that's what shared ledger means. So now instead of me having a bank and you having a bank, we're all aimed at the same database, right? And there's only one place that it has to change. And so, yeah, there's no, Nobody who owns that, nobody who controls that. That's what decentralized means, and that's why nobody can shut it down. Hopefully that answers your question. I, th I think that's and pretty clear. Yeah, we want to apply that to lots of things besides financial transactions. Next question, let's go left. Ashwin there. Stand um, up, please. Yeah. Do you want me to stand up? Yeah. All right. Um, how far do you think we're from uh, just replacing banks with like a Bitcoin kind of system? <laughs> Is that um, ever going to happen? Probably not. But some people already a... have. Um, I mean, who here likes their bank? I like, you do? I like San Diego County Credit Union. Okay, <laughs> that's not a bank, but also, but also, like, look, banks suck, right? They aren't actually doing anything for you. They're a necessary evil for you to be able to transact, right? You're not getting interest off of deposits, right? They're charging you fees. They're a pain in the ass every time you interact with them. Like, I hate banks. I try to avoid them at all costs, and I can't because I'm trying to buy and sell shit. So, you know, banks are kind of uh, a, an example of an industry where they haven't figured out that to how to be, you know, despite all their claims, you know, customer-focused, right? What, you know... Um, so I think their days are numbered and they know it, right? Now, cryptocurrencies have a lot of additional challenges, you know, because governments derive a lot of power from issuing a currency. And, um, and so it's hard to get, um, you know, a lot of progress on this. But that said, there's a lot of different countries and a lot of different governments and some that don't even issue a currency and all it's going to take is for a couple of them to start making it fungible and decide, oh, we're going to issue cryptocurrency instead of paper. Well, I think these are very irreversible trends. So I think we will ultimately end up on cryptocurrencies. You'll probably end up with competing cryptocurrencies from different um, jurisdictions, and some of them will be issued by governments, and some of them will be decentralized like Bitcoin. But, um, but they're important because they can reduce that transaction cost and get us down to 
0% transaction cost, and that's good for every economy. All right, let's do a machine learning question. Who has a machine learning question? Put your hand up. Um, let's go over there at the back. Um, where do you think uh, reinforcement learning is going in relation to supervised learning? Uh, where do you think is the application bound? Meaning, does reinforcement learning have more applications versus supervised learning in the long haul? Hmm. Rachel? Um, yeah, I, I think re reinforcement learning definitely has a better future than supervised learning because you cannot imagine how many restrictions we're currently having because we don't have the training data set for supervised learning. Right. So I, I definitely think that's the future and algorithms are kind of like evolving in an incredible speed today. So I would probably say like maybe in three or five years, nobody is talking about supervised learning anymore. I think that's totally possible. That's what I was thinking. Thank you. Ben, do you agree? Cool. <laughs> um, uh, yes, please, over here. Throw it far. Oh. <laughs> so you've had, uh, you've all had a lot of failures. Um, Pablo's talked uh, a, lo a lot about his company's failures. Yeah, no company I ever worked for still exists. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm on stage. <laughs> what do you, what do you do with all the failures? Um, do you make them open source for people to use, or uh, do you just throw them in the trash bin, or what are you doing with these failures? Ben, let's start with you. You've got a lot of failures as well. So the, the question <laughs> is around um, the actual product, like open sourcing. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you have failures and mistakes you've made when it actually comes to catastrophic failure for a company. Like I feel for, like for us, if we failed, our advisors would tie a bow on us and we'd go, sell to someone. So we would see that as a failure, but I don't know, that wouldn't be open source. If it was a complete failure, they'd probably, we'd be so depressed, I don't know, if we would just open source the code, probably delete it. Yeah. But that was interesting, because we were talking about in the car yesterday that you, your company and your research is so advanced at this stage that if you fail financially, right, like, you know, you can't meet the yeah. budget, whatnot, and your bank account goes down zero, you can still sell it, right? Yeah, so it, it's kind of a wild, so we went from being paid well to being paid zero, and when I've been, I had When a, you quit our, your job. Yeah, when I quit my job, so I, we had a meeting with the bank, talking about, well, how can we take more money out of our house? Do you have two years worth of self-employment income? No, but I've got an LOI, and the bank's like, <laughs> What's an LOI? Like, we, we can't do anything with that. Like, I, it's just oh, a letter of intent. So like, it, um, so we have an acquisition offer. But the f the funny thing is, when you look at the upside with these startups, AI startups are ridiculous. You watch Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley times ten. Like, they are insane. So it makes sense for you to fail financially. You have a four hundred one k. If you think you can see daylight on an acquisition, I don't know. It's just it's it's a weird reality. Mm. Yeah, gotcha. Rachel, what was, uh, uh, what about your failures? Um, I, I don't want to talk about my failures. <laughs> uh, but I want to um, uh, follow with what um, Ben was saying about um, companies. Um, even if your bank account turns zero, because like we have bought some 
failed startup into TrueCar. And uh, it's not only the bank account, right? Like your, your code base, your talent, these are all, and your experience in a certain very specific field. These are all your, your assets. So I, I, I yeah, in, in a sense, I don't think it's a failure. It's just some um, assets that hadn't turned into cash yet and just have to find a way. Yeah. Gotcha. Mark, what do you do with your failures? Uh, well, I, I was part of a company here in San Diego that was going to be bought out by one of the large OEM builders, and that, that failed. So we, we, we found out a way of not you know, repeating that mistake with the next company and the next company. So we, we, tried to, we, we tried to really do things more ourselves and not look for some big rescue and bailout. But uh, uh, within, within NVIDIA, the, some of the, uh, the products that we've launched, sometimes they're they might have looked like a failure for one person, but another group would say, wait a second, I need a lower power version of that. So let me take those GPUs that didn't make the cut for the top of the range, you know, super duper product. Hey, let's rebrand those and put them in something and, and affordably price them for a job that we do need done. So it's your chocolate chip cookies with nuts that you don't bring over to your allergy friends, you know, you, you give them to somebody else. So, it's not always a bad thing to have a failure. You, you now know one way of not doing something, so there's some lessons learned. Gotcha. I just remembered a possible failure. Euphora.com, you guys heard of Euphora.com as an AI company? They open source their platform. One of the founders, some of these, they don't, the media is not pushing failures. So you see all these wins, these startups just kind of die behind the scenes and you don't really know. So I noticed one of the founders is working somewhere else and they had a proprietary, they had an open source and a I don't know. Like, does, does anyone know what happened to Euphora? And did they open source their secret sauce in the open source community? I have no idea. Yeah, I guess failures are not as fun to talk about, but the, there's a saying that you learn from success, but you learn 10 times more from failure. So, I and we had a, a had a discussion with someone um, out in the hallway that, uh, what, how would you f feel if you fail? Like other people are judging you and so on. And um, one of the attendees made a really interesting comment that as long if you if you fail and you don't learn anything, then I will judge you. Not I, but like that, that attendee said, like the, uh, there's reason to judge you. But if you fail and you learn, that's just part of the process. It's important part of the process. I mean, it's a big part of why it's awesome to be in America, on the West Coast, in California, because we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You can fail and be like, cool, man, what are you doing now? If you have a startup in Italy and it fails, they open a criminal investigation. <laughs> You're never gonna get another chance. They have long memory. For generations, they'll remember that you failed. <laughs> Tell everybody, like, you know, so, you know, for us to be good at what we do, we have to be able to try things and um, by definition, you get a lot of failures. I mean, I told you guys yesterday, I get about 999 failures for every nuclear reactor I get, right? <laughs> and, you know, that you got to be willing to accept that, and not just personally, but for everybody else. I think you guys should do the craziest thing you, should br you could possibly bring yourself to do at any given moment. Do that. That's what we need from you. We don't need more people, you know, conservatively checking the balance on their 401k every, you know, whatever. 
I don't think I have a 401k. <laughs> I might need to sleep on your couch. <laughs> with, that, with that thought, uh, I'll do a little crazy. So sensor-wise, the integration between sensors and uh, uh, deep learning, for example, where's uh, Hadlin? Um, visual sensors or hearing or other types of sensors, whether it be, uh, you know, who, who are the leading companies in the hardware world that are helping, besides NVIDIA, that are helping to bridge the gap between getting that information that comes from the outside world directly into these neural networks. Who's, who, are the, who are the teams that are doing that right now? So I, I didn't quite, do you guys understand the question? You're talking about for manufacturing, just sensory inputs into it, deep it could, learning? It could be sonar information, it could be what cars are picking up on yeah. LiDAR, it could so be... So I think it's all scattered. So you look at these different companies that are doing stuff, so um, there's a group in LA, they're called the Tech Twins, these two identical Israeli Tech Twins. twins. So they're just focusing on radar. So with a radar, localized radar consumption, seeing humans through walls, seeing that your baby's still alive, they just do that and then you've got different applications. I don't really see a big general provider, but they are showing up. I feel like manufacturing is a little behind with some of the sensory stuff, but there are companies um, coming online that that's all they do. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to see a lot happen, I think, in the next few years, next couple decades with the stuff that we consume. Yeah, and Ben, you mentioned that most of your chips are NVIDIA, the ones that you use at Zip? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we use all NVIDIA GPUs um, for training, and then we use CPUs for inference. Okay, gotcha. Um, all right, next question. Over there, on the right, please. Good catch. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm going to go back to blockchain again. Uh, blockchain has a huge potential to uh, change So many questions the about blockchain. Yeah, I know. Um, so it has potential to transform the world economy. And um, right now, even though um, it's great, but uh, it still has limitation. So what is your thought on um, the scalability? What, what might be the solutions that we can solve the scalability of blockchain? And the second thing is um, there are big banks, big government, and maybe organizations trying to put out their permission blockchain now. What is your thought on permission blockchain and versus permissionless blockchain? Thank you. Well, you know, um, first of all, the whole point of using a blockchain for cryptocurrency is to get rid of the centralized mint, to get rid of the guy who's issuing the currency because historically he's always been able to mess with the value of the currency, right? And you can see this with basically every currency on earth. The US dollar is sort of the, the least screwed with and even ours gets screwed with by the Fed. So, um, so that's why we want a decentralized mint. Um, lots of, it's really easy to solve scalability problems of, and performance problems in Bitcoin if you get rid of that, right? Um, build infrastructure for the mint, you're done. So um, coming up with next generation protocols that preserve the decentralized nature of Bitcoin and also uh, meet you know the performance requirements we want going forward. Um, there's lots of projects on that. You know, uh, Zcash is one of them. Um, Bram Cohen, who made uh, BitTorrent, is now working on one called Chia. 
um, where he's trying to switch the model from proof of work, uh, which is what we're doing now for, for the blockchain on, on Bitcoin, to, um, to a model where it's proof essentially of storage. So you waste storage resources instead of wasting processing resources. And that cuts down on the power consumption by a lot. Um, so that's a good idea. But there's also, you know, there's a lot of things we want to do that Bitcoin's not a good choice for, for things like microtransactions. You know, we're talking about um, being able to, you know, pay somebody to, you know, like a, a tenth of a penny to run some calculations on a GPU. Well, you certainly can't do that practically with Bitcoin right now. So you want to be able to have different cryptocurrencies that you might use for different, you might use Bitcoin as a value store, switch to some other currency that you're going to use to pay people microtransactions, you know, every 10 nanoseconds. And then, you know, when you accumulate a bunch of that, you switch it back to Bitcoin, which is a stable currency. I know, hard to believe Bitcoin stable currency, but that's probably what it'll end up being. And so um, there's just work to do to advance on those protocols, but there's massive potential in that, like lots of work being done, lots of possible ways you could go with that. So I think these are technical problems um, that we can solve. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so in terms of just to give uh, a perspective how that indeed blockchain is emerging technology, why we have so many questions on it. Uh, the amount of power consumed by blockchain miners worldwide right now is more than the amount of power Iceland consumes on an annual basis. That's how much <coughs> Iceland's mining. tiny. It's no. a country. And most, uh, lots of mining's in Iceland. Um, <laughs> all right, so we're going to stop with the blockchain questions. Like a non-blockchain question, please. Let's throw it right over here to the front. Yep, big throw. Whoa. One less data scientist. <laughs> <coughs> All right, You're allowed to catch it if you don't want to answer, ask a question. So uh, my question is, in each of your respective fields, um, what technologies are you most excited about and why? I'm the most excited about GANs. I see huge applications in business for encoding and uh, some of them, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot more GANs showing up in business. Everybody know? Oh. A GAN is an adversarial network. It can, it can generate fake content, so it'll study your data, and if you want to see a dog, it'll produce a fake dog, or the image I showed on my slide, the fake um, human faces, um, they're, they're pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, they're so realistic, too. Yeah. Mark? Uh, I'm most excited for, um, well, it's kind of self-indulgent, but the um, self-driving ability of my car. I, I got to play with it this week. I, I've only had it for three weeks, so bear with me. It's still a new toy. But the fact that I drove to the airport the other day and, and I only had to change lanes by doing this twice to get to the freeway where I got off to get to the airport. I mean, I'm most excited about other people who don't have the facility for driving or the ability to drive to be able to have that mobility. And we have so many different car companies sprouting up to, to do that, Uber and, and, uh, and Lyft and, and others and Waymo, you know, a subset of Google. I'm most excited about people being able to be uh, uh, mobile. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Rachel? Yeah, and if you want to save lives in America, like... Yeah, that's the benefit of that. Get rid of human drivers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I personally, I'm really, really excited about a, uh, VR. I every every night before I go to sleep, I'm like 
come on, I want to play The Sims in VR yeah. and uh, <laughs> I build my own kingdom and get in it. Um, but <laughs> uh, from the business standpoint, I'm very excited about uh, cloud computing. Um, it's, it's already happening, but it's still amazing to see how how it's transforming businesses like us. We used to maintain a very expensive data center and our own server, and it's costing us like millions of dollars, and it fails constantly. Uh, right now, you'll be amazed by how reliable and, and cheap AWS is, and also, like for data science, AWS is uh, like it's not an advertising for AWS, but they're they're putting out this thing called SageMaker, where you can do tons of models on it and with um, cloud computing. So it, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Publish. What what technology am I excited about? Um, I'm obsessed right now with figuring out how to make sewing robots. So sewing? Like yeah. It's like if you look at all those factory dungeon jobs in Asia, a lot of them are sewing. And no miracles are required. Like we ought to, if we can make self-driving cars and we can make surgical robots, how come I can't make a self-driving sewing machine? <laughs> and I think that's an interesting one because right now that entire industry apparel is $2 trillion a year. Every human on earth is a customer. And if you could build a sewing robot, you could re-architect that entire industry without chasing the cheapest labor on earth the way they do it now. So I don't know, I'm obsessed with that. I just thought of another idea of longer term. Um, so right now we're all constrained by our ability to type. And you know, eventually a lot of us will get carpal tunnel, we'll have to worry about that. But I think with the automatic speech recognition breakthroughs we're looking at right now, you, we're going to see uh, speech programming in the next couple of years. Like, I'm not talking about toy, haha, look what someone did with Python. I mean, useful speech programming where you're writing Python and you're kind of coming up with some custom shortcuts. So I think the dream in the next five years, ten years, as we develop new things, a lot of that will be more visual and audio and less uh, tactile like typing. So I think I'm excited about that. I think it's very doable. I don't think it's science fiction. I think it's something that will happen sooner than later. Perfect. All right, we're going to wrap it up there. It's a good question to wrap up on. Let's give it up for our panel. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. I'll turn over yeah, here. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Ben, Pablos, thank you. So there you have it. That was the panel from Data Science Go 2018 on emerging technologies. If you were there, then I Hope you enjoyed this recap. If you missed it, then I'm sure you picked up lots of interesting ideas and thoughts from here. We talked about blockchain, AI, deep learning, machine learning, disruption, startups, and many, many more topics. I uh, would love to know what your favorite one was. Leave your comments in uh, the show notes at superdatasense.com slash 201. We're kicking off our next 100 of episodes very strong and I look forward to seeing you through the next 100 episodes. And of course, of course, if you enjoyed this, if you want to be part of this next year at Data Science Go 2019, then head on over to www.datasciencego.com and get your super early bird tickets there. Thanks so much guys for being part of the Super Data Science Podcast. I look forward to seeing you next time and until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>